Hello and welcome. My name is Andy Crook and my mission is to help garage owners become more successful in business. I'm your host for tonight's training on the subject of grow or die. Every week I deliver free business training to help garage owners become more successful in business. Sharing with you the exact same methods I used in my business based on the principle of incremental gains and continuous improvement. The Atomic Success Programme can produce massive results. So that's enough from our sponsors. Uh, what we want to talk about tonight is is grow or die. And the, the key thing about the the subject tonight is, is as if you have noticed, if you read any business books, uh, especially uh, in today's world, bigger is always seen as, 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 as better, if you like. Uh, but is this really the case? Should all businesses be growing continuously? And it's if you stop growing, will you die? That, that's the sort of premise of tonight's talk. Can you have a small but perfectly formed business that achieves all the aims of the owners? And that is that enough? Can you measure success differently other than growth? So what is growth and, and what does it actually mean? Because that's what most people think being in business is about. Now, we'll we'll use some examples tonight and we'll we'll go through um, some stuff because uh, I've been away. Uh, that's why we didn't have a, a session last week. Uh, and I, I read a book uh, while I was away called uh, Small Giants. Uh, businesses that choose to be great instead of big. And it was really, really interesting because it challenged some of the, if you like, the, the conventional norms of business uh, growth and, and why why is it that all businesses seem to be scaling? Because the fact is most small to medium sized businesses and certainly all probably, uh, there's probably an exception to the rule, but micro businesses are probably not that the, the books that are written and, and the, the advice and the, the wisdom that's out there probably doesn't apply because they're, they're operating at a different, different, if you like, motivation. The, the reason for being in business is totally different. But if your reason to be in business is to sell your company, then you need to grow and scale. What is scaling? Uh, we, it's a term everyone uses. Like, have you thought about the definition of what is a business that's scaling? So one that's used, uh, and I don't think it's the only one, but it, it's one I'll use to put scaling a business into some sort of uh, context, if you like. And that is 20% year-on-year -year growth. By growth, what they mean is growing the turnover or the number of employees, employees in a company by 20% year-on-year for a minimum of three years. That's scaling. Now... My business hasn't done that. I don't think I've ever done 20% year-on-year growth in number of employees, maybe, but certainly not in, in revenue year-on-year year for three years. So I haven't achieved scaling, but I, I, it's never been my my ambition to. Now, growth is generally what it says, where the business is getting bigger and bigger. And by bigger, they mean turnover, and they also mean number of employees. It can be a bit interchangeable. But generally, to get more turnover, you need more staff. There are other ways that we've talked about in, in previous trainings to do with efficiency and stuff. But generally, that's what, it, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about growing the company, increasing 
the size of the turnover and the size of the company in terms of employees. Uh, and the reason why this becomes the aim, if you like, in business is because if you want to sell or you have sold your business, that's what shareholders want. They're looking for the predicted predicted growth to keep the share price up, because if you start to dip below your forecasts, they start to sell their shares. And then you're in a, in a loop of doom where the value of the company is going down, the likelihood of investment reduces and the company dies. And that's where the grow or die comes in. So is it necessarily true? Well, I'm going to say no. Uh, and in the in the book by Bo Boylinham, he also agrees with me and he says not all businesses need to continue to grow and scale. In fact, he says great businesses, small giants is what he called them, don't. So we'll give you an example of a business that's that's reasonably large in the UK, one we can all relate to uh, for the UK garage owners, and that's QuickFit. It's one of the UK's largest garages. It's a chain of garages and its turnover. And this is the problem with being a public company is everyone can see your numbers. You can see the numbers for most companies. If you go to company's house and you look at annual returns, but if you're a public company, it's a, it's public scrutiny. So we've been able to look at the QuickFit and its parent company, the European Tire Enterprises Limited. And I can give you some numbers. Is necessary is big being necessarily better? Well, here's, here's some figures for you to sort of digest. Quick fix turnover last year was 482 million. It might have been the year before, but the last reported 482 million. So just short of 500 million pounds of turnover. Gross profit was 97 million and the net profit was 14 million, 14.1. So it's net profit was 2.9 percent. Hmm. So the risk for that company is is 482 million and the return was 14 million so under three percent doesn't sound particularly good to me the parent company european tire enterprises limited made a loss of 23 million now that definitely doesn't sound good to me so if you can put that into some sort of context being bigger means your problems are bigger, which means if you like, everything you do is, is obviously scaled up, it becomes bigger. And that doesn't sound to me like something that I'd want to be involved with. Now they are predicting for the next financial um, reporting period, the parent company is predicting a break even, which means there's a whole lot of money out there being risked for not a lot of return, in fact, breaking even or thereabouts. So you can see that being bigger doesn't always mean being better. So in the book, Small Joy Giants, Bo Burlingham examined small companies that have prioritized maintaining authenticity as opposed to large, large expansions and record setting revenue streams. So he's gone and looked at small, what he calls small giants. These companies that prioritized staying true to their values, authenticity, and not large expansion. Now, in the book, he does explain that most businesses, when it comes to that, that point when they have to make a big decision on whether to stay true to their, their original beliefs or expand, they require investment. And the minute you require investment, you lose control as the owner of part of the company because 
you effectively are handing over shares uh, and, and therefore some sort of say in the operations of the business to someone else. Uh, that can be any number, any type of investor you like. But what these businesses did, they they turned that opportunity down. And he gives examples in the book. There's an American brewing company who had the chance to supply uh, Las Vegas casinos, MGM Grand. Uh, and he realized to do that meant that he wouldn't be able to supply beer to his existing customers, the people who got him to where he got to. So he politely declined because growth in his in that situation would have meant compromising on what the business was about. So what um, what they discovered when they did the book was all the small giants had similar trends. And these are key, I think. And these are the things I think, these were the key learnings for me anyway, when I read the book. I, I, I recommend the book. It's not gonna change your world, but it gives you plenty of uh, of thought and things to think about in, in in your own business some of them are quite lofty and we're talking about the kind of legacy what your business is going to leave behind but they were quite interested so all the small giants had similar trends they were intimately tied and involved with the communities in which they operated all of the companies developed real and strong relationships with their suppliers and their customers now that's something to think about isn't it are we as small independent garage businesses building strong relationships with our suppliers do we understand the supply chain that that make enables us to operate and are we doing our bit to help those companies or are we just taking uh, and it, it it's it takes a bit of thinking about doesn't it in fact if i speak to any garage owner on any given day and i mention their part supplier it's just if you like a floodgate of complaints there's that there, there is always an issue there's always something but stop and think about that for a second what are we doing to help them and any other of the suppliers that we we work with now all these small giants had really strong relationships with their suppliers and their customers now i guess i dare say lots of small independent garages businesses are building relationships with their customers because that's easy yeah all businesses have a relationship with their customers and i suppose we all have a relationship with our suppliers but is it a positive one and is it a strong one and is it a real one or is it just the necessary one something to think about for a great small business what separates this relationship is the emotional bond with the customer and the supplier yeah? And when it comes to dealing with the customer, they are able to involve themselves directly with the customer. They are conscious of the customer's needs and wants. Yeah? And they know what the wants are, but they're very, very conscious of the customer need. Now, it's probably another training topic, wants and needs, and something we can do another day. But what your customer wants and what your customer needs are not necessarily the same thing. However, what your customer will probably do is I identify the want and not the need, but that's a training topic for another day. But what these giants have done, these, these small giants, businesses that are small, but if you like mighty, they are really conscious of the customer need and aware of their not wants. It was important for these small businesses to be included in the community's consciousness.
The companies work hand in hand with the surrounding community in order for them to be successful. Good corporate responsibility was a key feature in the majority of these businesses that were examined in the book. Now, we haven't got time to go into that, but are we as businesses involved in the communities that, that we serve that ultimately serve us by becoming our customers? Now, that community can be the physical community if, if you know if you're a local garage and you're supplying uh work or parts or, or or a service to your local community how involved are you in that community are you corporately responsible within that community are you giving back or are you just taking and that was key in some of these relationships and it was something that certainly got me thinking you know, I know many small independent garages that sponsor local sports teams and the like. That's the sort of thing I'm thinking about. Are you visible in your community? Are you a force for good in your community? Or are you just taken out of your community? Something to think about. So something else that Bo identified in the book, and that was that workplaces function like little societies. And what he was really sort of struck by, by these small giants, these these companies that were staying true and authentic to themselves was that the human needs of the staff were always catered for. It, it was almost like they were families. Now I had this conversation with my business partner recently and we don't like the term family for our business and the people who work with us. We prefer to use the term gang or tribe, but what he was saying was, or what, what Bo noticed within all of these was that the the best mental, emotional and physical conditions for the workforce were always being provided in these businesses within the constraints of the, you know, the business. But what they set out to do was provide a very, very safe, physical and psychological workplace, because that's what gets the best out of your, out of your staff. But all of these businesses recognise that. And it is the business owner's responsibility to decide how the business looks, acts and will feel in the future. And we, we've talked a bit about culture previously, but businesses of all of these small giants were acutely aware of the workplace culture and the philosophy adopted to ensure the employees are happy and proud to work there. And what they did notice is when this environment is created, it is easy for employees and leaders to care for one another and stay together when the going gets tough. And that's what many of them done. So what, if you like, makes a great company? And these are the sort of takeaways I got from the book. And it was being good to customers isn't enough. The, re the relationship has to be real and personal. And the same for your suppliers. Yeah. Using a supplier over another supplier isn't enough. Make the relationship real and personal. A company should always show its workers how much it values them. It's not enough just to pay them and pay them on time. That is enough. Show them how much it values them. Understand them individually. Yeah. If you're too big to understand everyone individually, then you're probably not a small giant. Because what he noticed was the business owners in all cases, nearly all cases, had a personal relationship and had personal knowledge of the people they employed. 
Companies should have a united vision of the atmosphere in which they work and live. That comes back down to the, the business culture. And growing a company too big will take away its soul and it becomes all about numbers. So a great company decides for itself what success is and what they wish to achieve. What you need to know in that case is what is the vision, the overall aim for the company? What do you want it to be and what do you want it to, to or what do you want to do with it when your time with it ends? Your vision, your end goal for the company. You must understand your values as the business owner or owners and then you must trace, translate those values into the values of the business and then the culture of that business. Great companies have owners that are able to link the needs of the business to the needs of its customers. Great business will still face the same constant challenges as any other business, but they make decisions that match the company's goals and not the market trend.